0: The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quota Pounder. I'll try your filet of fish There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any
1: two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer.
0: This is A Different Perspective with Kevin, Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall.
1: And hello, welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I'm the host, Kevin Randall. I will be joined momentarily by Robert Schaefer. We'll be talking about uh, the latest congressional mandate for UFO investigation. We'll be talking about the deep state and other UFO-related issues. I did want to say one thing before we started. Uh, last week I talked about a little bit about um, people reviewing books and magazines and doing things like that when they haven't bothered to read them. They, they base it on, I guess, the personality of the, the writer or the uh, owner of the magazine or whatever. And I was talking sort of about a preemptive strike because I know that my background is going to be under assault because it's been under assault for literally decades. Was I really in the military? Was I really an intelligence officer? Was I really a helicopter pilot? Did I really go to those schools? Are those schools accredited? And on and on like that. And at this point, it just becomes absolutely wearing. And the one thing that uh, kind of popped into my mind as I was thinking about that is that's sort of the equivalent of the cancel culture, uh, ufological cancel culture, I suppose. If you do not embrace everything, in the UFO field, then you are considered a bad person. You are considered a, um, an agent of the CIA, a member of the Air Force Office of Special Investigation. Um, and it doesn't matter which side of the ufological fence you fall on, those allegations are going to be slung at you. I always thought it was kind of funny. You knew you'd made it in the UFO field when you they began to accuse you of being CIA. I was once accused of being a member of Hector Quintanella's Project Blue Book, and I'm thinking, how could that be? Um, When Blue Book was closed down, I was in the Army, not the Air Force, and I had just uh, returned from Vietnam. Prior to that, I was in high school, for crying out loud. I had no opportunity to be a member of Project Blue Book or anything like that. The one thing that was kind of funny, though, I did grow up in Denver, Colorado. At the time, the University of Colorado was doing their uh, investigation for the Air Force. And a a friend of mine, was also very interested in UFOs. We never really went to the University of Colorado to find out what was going on. We just sort of followed the flow, I suppose. Um, But the the, the real point here is uh, ufologically, um, I just do not uh, embrace, this is the word I was looking for, embrace many aspects of the field. I don't think crop circles are extraterrestrial I don't think cattle mutilations are extraterrestrial I'm very bothered by the nonsensical uh, abduction stories we read with with a couple of exceptions to that Um, the idea that there's been three or four hundred UFO crashes is preposterous because if that had happened we would be having a wholly different conversation Uh, I think if there's a UFO crash there may be two and one of them may have been an emergency landing um, as opposed to a crash and maybe Robert and I can chat about that a little in, in a little bit. Uh, I am joined by Robert Schaefer. He's been on the program before. He is a hardened skeptic, a student of Philip class, I might say. Um, I don't know if Robert remembers he and I once went sailing on the Potomac River with Philip class. Um, many many years I think it was 1977 was when that happened. Um, he did found the, um, skeptics organization there in the San Francisco area he was a writer and a columnist for the skeptic magazine and things like that so we've we've talked about uh, skepticism and ufology a number of times so uh, Robert Schaefer welcome back to a different perspective
0: Thank you Kevin yes well you certainly do have a different perspective than uh, some of these people huh <laughs> and I'm sure <laughs> I do too. But, yeah, I've been accused the whole thing of uh, being CIA and whatever. Um, it, it was Skeptical Inquirer I wrote, I wrote for, not as I wrote a column for, not Skeptic, although I did contribute a few articles to Skeptic. But uh, I've uh, kind of distanced myself. I've resigned from any uh, such organizations. Uh, they all got so political to me, you know, and uh, I just can't uh, – I can't see it uh, doing things their way. But uh, you well, know, I, the so called science is, uh, you know, do follow the science. Well, what is the science, you know? <laughs> but anyway, well, but I, always wondered about, to, uh, I
1: always wondered about skepticism in the fact that no matter what's where you are, if a theory is proposed, um, the skeptic should be skeptical of it. And in, in, in ufology, I thought. Many times skeptics embraced any explanation for a UFO sighting, even if it didn't fit into the real framework of the evidence, not necessarily meaning it was extraterrestrial, but the explanation didn't work. And I always wondered about them not taking their skepticism into those explanations saying, well, you know, this really doesn't work for this sighting because...
0: Well it does uh that you're right that does happen sometimes uh fortunately I guess from my standpoint is it's not something that happens a lot um we uh, i have uh you know sometimes there are private communications when a, a a publication receives uh you know a, a an article and they want to get input from other skeptics and I have seen some of these that are pretty odd that uh you know somebody uh said that the uh What was it? The Socorro UFO was a a landed UFO, was actually a a mirage of the star Canopus in the daytime. Uh, And, you know, uh, well, you can imagine what I had to say about that. You're skeptical. Yes, yes. Especially when the the explanation you're proposing is almost as extraordinary as uh, the UFO, the extraterrestrial thing would be. And there have been other uh, explanations. Somebody had a a, um, a, big, a big theory about how, you know, that famous Coast Guard UFO with the, was it four little elliptical UFOs looking out the window? Um, everybody pretty much agrees, I think, that those are reflections of lights uh, from the inside. Well, somebody you mean, came that, you, up,
1: somebody you mean came, that, that 1952 photograph taken yes. in Massachusetts?
0: That's right. That's right. Somebody came up with the idea that those were reflections of sun on oil tanks, reflecting up to the clouds. And this would uh, you know, require uh, a certain very dark clouds, very low, but completely clear where the sun is. And I ran a little experiment with a paint can, which would be almost the same as the top of those oil tanks. In fact, their they probably wouldn't reflect as much as of my paint can. And it does not produce this nice, you know, perfect circle, it produces, you know, scattered light. So I mean, yeah, there are proposals like that. But I I like to think that uh, we uh, as skeptics um, look at this and, and, you know, hopefully, uh, stay with the good explanations
1: and uh, abandon the bad ones. Well, one of the things I noticed uh, frequently is that they were many skeptics we're unwilling to say well we don't have a good explanation we we don't know what it is not meaning that that immediately translates into it was extraterrestrial it means given the evidence we have given the circumstances we have we don't have a good explanation i always wondered why they why many of them were loath to suggest that we just don't know why that would be an answer you couldn't give
0: Well, you could give, but then uh, you'd sort of be putting yourself the onus on yourself to go out and get more information and see if you can find more information. Often, you know, we receive accounts of a a case where, you know, it all sounds very remarkable, but we just really don't have enough information to say, you know, like, when did it become visible? How was it seen? And so on and so on. And, you know, if we knew more about it, likely, uh, I think we'd have a better idea what it was. Um, But I don't, you know, but you're right. One can say that.
1: Well, the Air Force would uh, often say, well, we have uh, insufficient data for a scientific analysis. Yeah. And, and I'm
0: sure that's true in many cases. But, you know, I would agree with you that as far as Project Blue Book, I mean, sometimes their work was good, but sometimes it was really stretching it. You know, they would say that, you know, Venus would be pretty much everywhere. Um, <laughs> There's, and temperature inversions. Uh, A temperature inversion might explain a very small number of uh, cases. I think like when people are looking over, for example, when people uh, look over the Great Lakes, when they look over Lake Michigan from Michigan looking west, sometimes the mirage the superior mirage causes the lights of chicago to appear to lift themselves up above the horizon it's just a refraction phenomenon normally you can't see that far but when the conditions are just right you can and so but there's only in those rare cases that an actual temperature inversion could you know could result in a so-called ufo and uh you know and like in menzel's he's you know somebody sees something up there and well it was probably a temperature inversion Well. I don't think it was that. It was, might've been something else, but it wasn't
1: that. Well, since you brought up Menzel, <laughs> uh, I, I, I just want to mention things, uh, Clyde Tombaugh, whom I, I know you know who it is, uh, the yes. man who discovered yes. Pluto, uh, right. astronomer of some note had a UFO sighting in Las Cruces. Yes. And Menzel explained it as a layer of haze on the atmos- in the atmosphere that were reflecting the square windows of um, the houses, lighted houses around his backyard. And of course, Tom oh, ba ba said, well, no, Tom said, no. And I'm thinking Tom there. He's an astronomer. I'm going to go with his, I don't know what I saw, as opposed to Menzel's explanation, who was not there, would explain everything by some right. magical means. His
0: business about the reflections off the windows sounds as bad as the business about the reflection off the tops of the oil tanks on the clouds. <laughs> uh, not very plausible at all. No, I read a little bit about that. I, I haven't read a lot, but it, from the description that Tom Baugh gave, it it makes me think that what he saw was the same thing that what people call the Lubbock lights. They, you know fundamentally that there was likely was a, a bird's going over. but if, and I've seen this myself. If you just catch it briefly out of the corner of your eye or you just see it for a second or two. It looks very dramatic. and if, but if you don't like, see it appear and see it disappear, uh, you may not catch what it is, so uh, I suspect that that's the case. But I, you know, I can't. And I, I would
1: argue that only because uh, Tom Baugh's wife believed that they had there was an object. Uh, the, the lights were on a singular object as opposed to singular lights. Uh-huh. So they had a divergent, if you will, of their description of what they had seen. Yeah, I I don't talk. know what they I don't know what Often they saw it doesn't uh, it didn't seem like it was a normal uh, ufo sighting what they what they were describing it was just some bizarre atmospheric phenomenon but uh, they did have a little bit of a disper- on, <laughs> dis- divergence on what they had seen well we see
0: the same thing in this um, the phoenix lights the first you know there are two phases of it the first phase and then the second phase which was clearly the, um, the flare drops from the air national guard um, but the first, the, the so-called triangle, flying triangle, some people reported it as you know, a solid object and they saw, they saw a solid object, at least in their perception. Others said it was you know five lights. And uh, we actually have that short video of it that shows that they're not fixed with respect to each other. So they were independently moving objects. Probably A-10s come in the Air National Guard from the, uh, was it, Snow, uh, when they call it, uh, Project uh, Snowbird. They were flying in to davis Mountain Air Force Base in Tucson uh, from probably Las Vegas, and and because everybody was out there to look at the uh, comet that was out there, the hale comet, that at that same night, and as these things went over with their formation lights on, uh, people said, "What's that?" But the point being, you know, some people saw it as as a single object with fixed lights, and other people said it was independent lights, and that appears to be. Appears to be correct. Other people saw it in the telescope or binoculars and said they were basically
1: they were eight tens. I thought it was interesting that uh, the Air National Guard finally copped to have dropped flares, and yeah. when you when you superimpose the uh, terrain on the film, you can see why the the lights were winking out. They were dropping behind the the mountain. So I think clearly I right. the, the flare <laughs> explanation is is a good one. Uh, I know you wanted to talk about UFOs in the deep state. And I wanna talk about the latest congressional mandate to investigate UFOs and the creation of this new office and what you think about that. So, but we'll have to do that in just a moment because we're gonna have to take a short break here. Uh, And I do wanna mention for those of you interested my blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and the latest book is called Level Land which is all about the Level Land sightings. And I know that's gonna excite Robert just no end. (laughs) I'll, I'll promise probably have to, to read it then. Huh? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, so we will be uh, talking about those topics when we come back. And there's some other fine programs on the XO Broadcast Network. Go to XZBN and take a look at the program listings and you'll find something that'll excite you. We will be back right after this. So please stick around. Welcome back. I am sitting here. actually, Robert Schaefer is not here in my <laughs> studio, my office, my house, but he's far enough away, we're doing social distancing to keep ourselves right. healthy.
0: <laughs> I'm in the suburban San Diego.
1: There we go. Uh, when we went away, we had uh, talked about some UFO settings and things like that. Uh, I want to get to the, the latest congressional mandate, the creation of this office to investigate. UFO sightings or UAP sightings or whatever the new acronym is today. (laughs) Yes. Um, What are your thoughts on that whole thing?
0: Well, I suspect it's people, uh, you know, since ufology has been a long time and you and I have uh, been around it a long time, we know what's been done before. And I suspect that these people who are pushing this are relative newcomers, meaning 10 years Instead of maybe 40 or 50 years' knowledge and experience of ufology. And uh, back, we remember Project Blue Book. Before that, there was, uh, what was it, a uh, special, uh, well, or, or coming from that, there was a special report 14 in the Battelle, and they tried to analyze the data. They were the first ones to use the, the newfangled stuff like uh, punch cards and computers. To uh, you know, analyze uh, reported characteristics of UFOs, and that really didn't prove much of anything. We all know what happened with um, Project Blue Book, and of course they had what well, was it, Project Grudge, and Project Sign, and whatever before that. And uh, of course, Blue Book ended up with so much hot water for uh you know the air force that they ended up uh they, they basically just give it to the university of Colorado and here you guys figure out what this is and we'll have nothing more to do with it and they looked at it came to a skeptical conclusion and as far as the air force was concerned it was pretty much it so uh, and and it's not just them i mean there's you know many different countries in france they had japan and you have uh you know it's a worldwide phenomenon and I just can't see how anybody thinks that all we gotta do is, is have the Pentagon create a new office. We all know how efficient and how, uh, you know, transparent these guys are, uh, not, that is. And uh, they're just gonna get themselves in all kinds of trouble because uh, sooner or later, you know, when they make their report, they, you know, may say, well, we had so many sightings and whatever the number is and they, and, uh, here's the percentage we couldn't explain. And then, and then the people will say, what, you couldn't explain it? Why? Oh, there must be aliens. <laughs> it's just going to be this whole Project Blue Book thing over and over again. But you remember what uh, the kind of black that the, uh, that the Air Force was getting over that. And then finally, you know, this whole University of Colorado thing would just get this out of here. Give it to somebody else. Now they're taking it on again. <laughs> and I'm sure that five years or 10 years from now, they'll be regretting it. <laughs>
1: I, I, th- I think of two things. Number one, the conclusions for the uh, University of Colorado study was were written before the contracts were signed. And I think it's a letter that um, uh, Phil Klass may have gotten his hands on as well, where they said the Air Force, uh, Robert um, Hippler wrote to Robert Lowe at the University of Colorado and says, here's what we'd like you to find. Uh, there's no national security implication. The Air Force has done a good job and nothing can be learned by further st- study and we should stop the whole thing. And that's exactly what the Condon Committee concluded. So, I mean, it was kind of a put up job, but but the other thing I noticed in the the congressional mandate, they were only going to investigate military sightings. And how transparent can you be? Because you can drop the the umbrella of national security over any of that stuff saying, well, we can't talk about that setting because there's national security implications. Right,
0: exactly. And this is why a number of the uh, UFO proponents are suggesting that they don't like this idea of having its office in the Defense uh, National Defense Authorization Act. They'd rather have it as like a congressional investigation, which you know would be more open in the sense that you know these investigations everybody would see and would be able to listen to. Uh, but the point is that's not new either. There were what two series? Was there one in the House and one in the Senate? something like that back in the 60s. And they were basically inconclusive, got a bunch of people in there to testify, you got to Heineck and was Friedman I think was in on that. And uh, you know, all all the major ufologists at the time. And and it still didn't settle anything. It didn't, you know, nothing new was learned. We didn't know any more about ufos after that than we did before. So uh, I am thinking that this is just deja vu from people who really don't know the history of UFOs and UFO investigations very well, and that nothing good in the sense of new information or something we didn't know is going to come from it. And I suspect after a couple of years, you know, the government is going to be like, oh my God, how did we get into this? <laughs>
1: I, I always think of this as Twining 2.0. You remember Twining's letter from September of 1947, where he said the phenomena is something not uh, something real, not illusionary and fictitious, and we should do right. an investigation, and it should be a priority investigation, and it should have a security clearance and that sort of thing. And this this is what strikes me as going on today. They're saying the same thing. Well, it's something that's real. And we've got to investigate it. Clearly, there are sightings. That's something real. Doesn't mean it's extraterrestrial, as some people have. Uh, I. I think on with the Navy said, well, these were real cockpit recordings, meaning that they were real uh, alien spacecraft. And it doesn't mean that at all. It just means the video really came from the Navy. Right, right. But they, they look at this stuff and, and they think they're gonna go somewhere else, but we're in the same, thing, same place we were in September of 1947. We're gonna start <laughs> a new investigation. It's going to be in the intelligence function, the intelligence operations in the Pentagon. And I think the director of national intelligence is involved. And yet they also said, and we're going to investigate military sightings. So a really great sighting by civilians would be ignored because they couldn't control the information They say, well, that's not part of our purview. We're doing we're dealing with these military sightings. So I think it's basically a big put up job for for some bizarre reason.
0: Right. It's uh, it's hard to see what what anything how anything good might come of that. But uh, you know, on the other hand, if they started, inv- if the if the military started inviting, uh, or, I'm sorry, started investigating everybody's uh, sightings from everywhere, then that would, in essence, sort of create the the perception that somebody, you know, in the in the government is responsible for explaining these things. So if you go out and see something that's flying and it's a kite or whatever, but you think it's a it's an a- alien spacecraft, and then you report this to the military, then the military has to investigate and find out if you saw a kite or something. I mean, this, this, was, this could just grow in exponentially, would grow exponentially. So in that sense, they have to uh, do this, this way.
1: Well, I think you can set up criterion it would eliminate the kite flying. I've always said, if you've got an airplane flying at night and the guy's got his landing light on and you go out to uh, let your cat in at three o'clock in the morning and you see the thing flying over and the wind is blowing the wrong direction and all you see is a bright light crossing the sky, there's absolutely no way that the military or anybody's going to be able to solve that sighting. It's just a bright light in the sky seeing at three o'clock in the morning. And if it's a private plane and he's flying under VFR rules, there's no record of it. So that sighting is unidentified, but it's clearly not an alien spacecraft. And so I think you can set up criteria where you look for, you have to have certain specifics. You know, how long was the thing in sight? Well, if it's under a minute, we're not interested in it because you don't have a time to make a proper observation if it's under a minute. Um, you know, if it, are there more than one witness? If there's multiple witnesses, then you've got something better to go on. You have not just a single perspective, but dare I say it, a lot of different perspectives. Uh, I thought i would get a plug in for the show for no, yeah. no apparent reason. It's, but it's, I, you know, the point simply worked. is, if there's photographs, it's, you know yeah. they've got something else to work with. And I, I think that you can set up the criterion, but to eliminate just to the military, what you've done is now set up a way of keeping all the information under the uh, hidden away under the umbrella of national security. And I think that may be what they're looking for. Right,
0: the, and that, and that yeah. is the criticism that's being raised by a number of uh, ufologists. Uh, and I think there's, uh, you know, there's something in that because you're right, you know, we on the outside will never know for sure what's going on on the inside. But the thing is this now we have seen already, they've had this UFO task force for a bit now that they've been looking at this since, I don't know, two years or something. And uh, what have they found? What have they given us? Let's see. They, this, this object that's called the go fast. It's one of the original three videos that uh, Tom DeLong and uh, his uh, crowd uh, first showed us, and then later the Air Force released it. Uh, it's just like a little round, a little, a very small little dot. Um, and it's airborne. It's either a large bird or a balloon. But the point is, these guys are in a jet, and they're passing. They're going to, what, 400 miles an hour, whatever speed that thing goes at. They're looking down, and they're saying, wow, look at that thing move. Well, it's moving you know, behind them. Well, a- anybody who's taken high school geometry can figure out what's happening there. You, I mean, if I'm riding in a car and I go past a tree, looks like the tree is moving backwards, but I know the tree is not moving backwards because I can see the ground and I understand that. But if they're up in this plane and they're looking down and they see this object that appears to be zipping behind them at a high rate of speed, that's just their forward motion crossing something, you know, that is itself a very slow moving, almost stationary object they couldn't figure this out? What kind of experts couldn't figure this out? Seriously.
1: I I think one of the problems is they were required to make a report to Congress on June 25th, and I thought of it as a really poor high school report, maybe a C-minus, maybe a D-plus. It wasn't a very good report. There were 144 um, incidents or 144 reports. What What does that mean, reports? Is that uh, several reports on one incident or is it 144 separate events? You know, what, what are you telling us here? I think what happened was they had the mandate to make the investigation and the people in the government just kind of ignored it because they didn't care. And all of a sudden the news media is very interested in the coming of this report. Now we've got to put something together. So they slapped this thing together and that's what they ended up with. They were supposed to do another report on October 25th and that never happened. We never heard a word of it. Instead, now we have this Congressional office being created.
0: Well, yes, it doesn't make much sense, but... uh...
1: Well, I was uh, wondering if you had any thoughts about um, the operation of, of this might being or let me rephrase my question here. I kind of got ahead of myself and I know I'm running running short on time. We'll have to come back to this. But uh, I have postulated in a book cleverly called UFOs in the Deep State that there was a manipulation of the data, whatever that data may be. I, I, well, let me let me put it this way. Do you believe that there's a deep state or a shadow government, something like that operating? What is What is your opinion on It
0: depends of that? on your definition. I mean, uh, some people say the deep state simply is all the unelected bureaucrats who have essentially lifelong tenure or in, in some cases not lifelong, but for the duration of an appointment, which still would be several years, uh, and that they are the ones who are really making things happen. The, the president or whoever may, you know, say do this or do that. Perfect example of so-called resistance to Trump. If you remember, there was a big story when a, a short time a year or so after, Trump became president. There was a story in the New York Times talking about the the resistance. I am the resistance. And basically, it's people who are not elected. They are bureaucrats, but very high-ranking, important people who basically said, we oppose Trump's policies, and so we're not going to follow them through. That, I think, is the deep state. You can't deny that something like that exists. Now, a shadow government, I, I don't know really what that means. I wouldn't say that, but I would say that there are people who are, are sitting very fat and comfortable in D.C. or wherever else their office may be, and they basically can get away with a lot of stuff. And some of them, you know, use it for their own advantage in enrichment, or others try to advance policies that they personally favor, but may not necessarily be favored by management above them and the management might not even be happy uh, doing, you know, to know what they're, if they knew what these people were doing. So yes, I, I in that sense, there's a deep state and, uh, but I don't think that they're opposed to UFOs. I think that they seem, some of them at least seem to uh, like them, seem to seem to be promoting the idea that UFOs are significant. Uh, let me come
1: back Let me come back to that in just a moment, because I'm going to have to take a break here. I'm talking with Robert Schaefer. We've moved off to into the deep state and bureaucracy of the government. And I think it's an interesting place we need to go uh, to, to explore that a little bit further. Once again, my website is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. The latest book is called Level Land. The one before that was UFOs in the Deep State. And we will be back right after this. So please stick around. back with Robert Schaefer. We are practicing social distancing for apparently no good reason whatsoever. That's just my opinion, and I've put it out there for cancel culture to come after me now. Um, when we went away, we were kind of talking about the deep state, and I mentioned my book, UFOs in the Deep State, and the postulation there was, uh, and I, I, I don't know if you know this history or not, Robert, but back in the 1930s, once uh, FDR was elected, there was a group of individuals, industrialists, maybe conservatives, who tried to get a um, marine major general put into the White House as a chief of staff, and he would really run the government, and FDR would be a figurehead, and they were attempting to manipulate the government to create this kind of a deep state where the elected officials really weren't running the government, but they were controlling it from behind the scenes. Um, the New York Times investigated and Congress investigated, and they all said there was nothing to it. And they came down heavily on the, uh, the general, um, Spedley Butler, I believe his name was. He would have been the only man to have ever earned three medals of honor had Marine officers been able to earn medals of honor when uh, the first one would have been awarded to him. He ended up getting with being awarded two others. So he was quite a respected general. He had a, quite a following in the 1930s the um, veterans organizations of the time uh, had quite a strong following as well. And he, they thought that they would all follow him. They would all follow General Butler. So they were attempting to set this whole thing up and, and Butler just was horrified by the idea and went to the press about it. And the press kind of savaged him about and the Congress savaged him about it. But what he did was he, if, if that was really true then he stopped the whole thing from going, going forward. So the idea of the deep state I think came about in a um, out of out of Turkey in the, in the 1920s or maybe a little bit earlier where you have a shadow government running things the elected officials really don't have the power it's it's invested in the bureaucrats and a lot of the bureaucrats you see are there from in, in the United States from administration to administration sure they, the the secretaries in the in the various departments are uh, appointed Pointed by the president, and some of them show up. Uh, some of them that were in the Clinton administration are showing up now, and that sort of thing. So you've got this continuity there, but at the higher levels of the bureaucrats who are not political appoint- appointees, uh, can operate on a on a, a level to conceal or, or hide information. And I was of the impression of, and, and this is where I think uh, Robert, uh, that it kind of explains the UFO situation because the deep state's whole purpose is to protect their power and their money. And by admitting that UFOs are extraterrestrial, they are kind of undermining their power. And we take a look at at human history when a technologically um, superior civilization uh, contacts a more primitive civilization, that primitive civ- civilization ceases to exist, not necessarily conquest or warfare, but the mere introduction of the technology undermines the societal structures in, in quite a different way and change, changing those societies. And I think that um, uh, it, when you talk of the Plains Indians, for example, a clay pot is a wonderful tool for cooking uh, a meal, but a steel pot is a much better tool and the Indians didn't have a methodology, the Plains India specifically didn't have a methodology for creating the iron pots or the steel pots. And they were, had to rely on the European technology to get them those sorts of things. So it kind of undermined their civilization. So that's kind of the structure of the idea is looking at how can the deep state pre- prevent the president from getting information. And I think we're seeing a bit of an example of that. Uh, I had postulated if I'm the president, at one point, if I'm the president and I go to the director of CIA and I say, tell me everything you can about UFOs. And the CIA director says, well, no, I can't tell you, you're not cleared for that. My next move is the president says, you're fired, bring in your deputy. But I think what happens is the president goes to him, and says, I want everything you have on UFOs. And the, the director of Central Intelligence. says, We need to put together a comprehensive report for you, Mr. President, let me get with some of the other members of the intelligence community and some of the military uh, people involved in this and we'll put together a comprehensive report and somehow it never gets done. They can drag it out. Conflicts develop. uh, Crises come about that divert attention and they just keep massaging that thing until that person is out of power and the next guy comes in and he may not care about UFOs so they don't have to do it so they I think they dodge the bullet that way but I think the deep state is manipulating the situation for their own purposes I think that's where I get into the UFO aspect of it that's kind of a short take on it Robert uh, yeah I don't
0: think I would interpret it that way you seem to be suggesting that the deep state somehow knows that the UFOs represent an alien technology, and that it is th- it's threatening to undermine uh, what we know, and that the, the more you can, the more of a lid you can put on the knowledge of UFOs, the stronger their own power will be. I don't think that's true at all, because first of all, um, let's look at who's who's promoting UFOs these days. Okay, well you got uh, Christopher Mellon, right now is he part of the deep state? He's certainly, I mean, in this whole thing, this whole milieu of the, you know, uh, politically correct, um, you know, long-term, you know, Washington, um, you know, denizen. uh, He's a swamp creature, okay? And uh, what was Harry Reid, the late Harry Reid? Okay, he's another another swamp creature. And uh, let's see, who else we got here? John Podesta, he ran Hillary's campaign. He's a big ufologist, he's a a UFO promoter, he's a swamp creature. So, I mean, it looks to me like there's probably just as many of these deep state types who are promoting UFOs as there are who are trying to um, put the lid on them. In fact, probably more, because I really can't think of any that I know of, anybody who I would consider deep state trying to put the lid on UFOs. Um, I think that the way it works, at least as I interpret it, is. We said that, you know, these deep state people feel themselves to be very powerful, that they, you know, they receive instructions and directions from above, from their management, and sometimes they follow it, and sometimes they don't. And sometimes they do things that are completely just not authorized, not necessarily wrong, but unauthorized, putting, you know, having little things. For example, this whole AATIP that everyone's talking about so much, the Pentagon program, with uh supposedly headed up by Elizondo, had a budget of zero. And this is according to James Flakatsky, who we know was the head of the AAWSAP, which is this other thing. That's the Pentagon program that that, um, funneled $22 million to Bigelow Advanced Aerospace Systems. Uh, And what we got from it was uh, 38 papers on weird science and it works out to something like almost $600,000 a paper, which is really is nice work if you can get it. Um, but uh, Lukaski has said very plainly that Elizondo's budget was zero. So if we think of Elizondo as one of these guys who was also a swamp preacher and uh, he was interested in UFOs, but didn't have a budget, but him and I guess some of his friends would meet from time to time and they would call it this, you know, AATIP or whatever. But as far as there no, there's no budget, there's no mission statement, there's nothing like that. So I think that people basically, when you give people power and they want to do things, and I think they can get away with it, they're going to try to get away with it. So he thought, Alessandro, and I'm sure many others thought, geez, government's got to be studying these UFOs, so let's kind of do this on our own and see what we can do. So yeah, that kind of thing happens. But I think the deep state is just as much, at least as much, probably more pro-UFO than anti-UFO.
1: Well, I would suggest that, you uh, mentioned Christopher Mellon, for example, being a yeah. big UFO guy. Right. What has he accomplished?
0: Ah, uh, he's accomplished, well, he's gotten on all these TV shows and all these interviews and news programs to talk about first, to talk about how wonderful, you know, Tom DeLonge is, and his uh, uh, to the stars and so on. And now that he's, that's kind of gone away, dried up and blown away pretty much. I don't know exactly why, but happened uh, rather suddenly. Uh, now he's, uh, you know, on his own and doing other things. But, um, yeah, I mean, it... it
1: <laughs> well, the, my point simply is, is some of the people that you mentioned really oh. haven't done anything to promote, to, to um, add credibility to the UFO phenomenon. Uh, you know, they're associated with Tom DeLong, and you're kind of looking askance at him and, and it's the same thing that's been going on for everybody else. let uh, kind of be dismissive of the whole UFO phenomenon. And I don't think Christopher Mellon has done much good, even th- but he's done a great job of promoting himself. But you exactly. could say the same that's thing. Exactly,
0: that's what I'm getting at. Not just promoting himself, but his idea of ufology and what research and investigation should be done. That these people are promoting their idea of it uh, so I, the question I don't think is, uh, well, is his research any good? Is his analysis any good? He's not doing research or analysis. He's basically promoting, as are all these other people who are, uh, you know, and affiliated with, uh, you know, Bigelow has got a lot of money, and uh, he's into far out stuff, not just UFOs, but survival of uh, after death and so on. So, I mean, it's based, there's... A lot of money being put into this sort of thing, and every everyone knows that the government, especially the Pentagon, has a lot of money. <laughs> so they figure, well, that's the best. That's the best way to get to you know suck on the government. Pit, is to uh, to get a defense contract for twenty two million dollars to study uh, what was it uh, advanced air, aerial weapons or something A A W S A P. Basically, completely useless stuff about anti-gravity and warp drives and stuff. But you know, the government uh, sponsored that.
1: But that doesn't really take us to extraterrestrial intelligence. It doesn't take us to no. to solving the problem of whatever Absolutely the UFOs not. are.
0: It Doesn't solve anything.
1: Yeah, it moves us. It moves us in a different direction. It moves us away from the the, the key issues of what we need to do and what the investigations to do it. I mean, I, I can go on the internet and put together some very technically oriented papers about anti-gravity. And I know virtually nothing about anti-gravity, but it looks good and it sounds good, but it's diverting attention away from where we might need to be looking. It's the old magician's trick. Don't look over here, look over there. And uh, while you're looking over there, I pull off the magic type thing. And that's kind of what I'm thinking is going on here. We've got, you know, you mentioned Harry Reid and his $22 million to his pal, Robert Bigelow. Yeah. uh, You know that seems to be uh, financing financing part of Bigelow Aerospace or whatever his organization is, and it has nothing really to do with UFO investigations, although you kind of hide it behind that uh, that veil a little bit.
0: Yes, uh, I think it was a special division or something. We had it was Bigelow Advanced Aerospace uh, Research or something. So yeah, it was supposedly a separate entity
1: there. Well, I mean, that's that's my point, uh, that the people that are now coming to the forefront of the UFO field are the same people who have been running around in the background for a long time, but they have never really accomplished anything telling us anything about UFOs. And that kind of brings me to Avi Loeb. You're familiar with his Galileo project?
0: Uh, Indeed, uh, I am. And in fact, I just wrote the most recent entry on my blog yesterday was I think the second or third piece that I had written on there. They have now um, taken Jacques Vallée uh, under their wing. Uh, He's not just a a research associate or whatever they call it. I I understand he's like a project scientist or some such thing. So they brought on Jacques Vallée at an even higher level than these other guys like uh, Nick Pope and who else have they got on there? Christopher Mellon. Right, or and Elizondo, I think they got yes, so, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, or as uh, Kirk Collins uh, commented, it looks like they're trying to Galileo Project, looks like it's trying to create its own version of Contact in the Desert, which is <laughs> a, a, a far out UFO, uh, it's a conference that they hold every year out in the desert, and they invite far out people like. Eric von Däniken and so on, the speaker.
1: Well, and now job. far out people like like Jacques Vallée. Yeah. You take a look at, uh, did, you, did you read his book on Trinity? I haven't.
0: No, I have not. But I understand it's really terrible. I included a uh, quote from a uh, reviewer who basically says, it's hard to believe this is the same Jacques Vallée as has been writing these other books for so long. But really, well, let me interrupt you. To-
1: let me interrupt you there because I'm going to have to take a break. We'll talk about Jacques Vallee and Trinity and uh, some of this other stuff in just a moment. Uh, your 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 website, your blog is bad UFOs. Bad
0: UFOs, yes.
1: So take a look. Take a look at Robert Schaefer, bad UFOs, and you can read in depth about some of this. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> and we will be back right after this, so please stick around. are back. That is Robert Schaefer and I. We are talking about uh, UFOs, and we were talking about um, Avi Loeb's Galileo Project and the recent acquisition of Jacques Vallee. Um, uh, you had not read Valet's book. Um, are you familiar at all with the, the right? Date?
0: The book is called Trinity that he co-authored with Paula Harris, and it's about a supposed UFO crash two years before the Roswell crash, that was witnessed by, I don't know, nine-year-old kids or something like that. And uh, they found some material that is, uh, well, gee, it's a material and it's a little bit odd, but so what? So uh, yeah, I I haven't even gotten to that thing yet, but uh, I've read some of the reviews and uh, they're even from people who are usually Fairly um, favorable towards Valle They they think, oh my God, what has he done this time? This is uh, uh, it's, it seems to be rather credulous. I but again, I can't I can't give you a lot of details about that. I'm sure others could uh, talk about it better. Um, my uh, concern, though, I, I want to uh, say about the Galileo project. I really don't understand exactly what they think they're going to accomplish here because. Um, he seems to think, Dr. Loeb seems to think that it's just a question of setting up some cameras in some places and and with proper software and the proper filters and whatever to capture UFOs and and solve the mystery and find all these alien things. He's assuming that aliens have sent probes to the earth, uh, or at least to our solar system, Uh, Presumably, aliens from a very long time, very long distance, you know, over distances of light years. Um, And in fact, even more strange than that, he's he's saying that there's these objects, alien objects, that would be um, flying in our atmosphere and generating heat signatures, that he then would get his cameras to record the heat signatures. But they would have to be within 10 kilometers of this so called alien thing, first of all. If any object is coming in the atmosphere and is, is moving at a high rate of speed and generating heat and a heat signature, it's losing energy, which means it's falling to earth. And if it doesn't, like a meteor, exactly, like a meteorite. And if it doesn't fall to earth, and that means it must be powered and ready to go up and zoom off. Now you're trying to tell me, or he's trying to tell me that there's aliens 10 light years away who have sent this thing over here, they powered it. Well, how did they refuel it? If, you know, after they, they make their first little hot rodding through the atmosphere and they use up some fuel, how do they replace it? Do they have an interstellar filming station somewhere? I mean, this whole thing, it, it, it makes no sense. You couldn't, uh, objects that are in orbit around the Earth are not stable for long periods of time. Small objects, especially because, you know, perturbations of the moon and the planets and, and all that. And uh, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be usable over, shall we say, geologic uh, times. We, we would have to assume if the aliens are a long ways away in their own solar system, they would have to send something here that needs zero maintenance, you know, like the Maytag uh, repairman just sitting and being bored. This thing would have to work for thousands of years, millions of years, unattended. Um, I, think so that, I think that's this, the point. This proposal makes no sense to, to well, look I for think... something that couldn't possibly exist
1: having having talked to him a couple of times about this and have interviewed him on the program so i i, I have a feel for a little bit feel for what he's going his idea is that an uh, alien civilization may have sent out just literally hundreds or thousands of these probes not necessarily directed toward our solar system but throughout the galaxy in a search for other intelligences and the idea is it wouldn't be necessarily getting near earth uh he wanted to remove and this is this is what kind Kind of trips me up. He wanted to remove the human element from the observation. So these uh, stations he's setting up, these um, telescopes would be gathering the data um, through the computer programs that they've they've arranged without the human interpretation of it. Uh, I had suggested that it might be beneficial to look at the history of, of ufology to see where it's gone. And <laughs> exactly, it, it, there there are there are things that were done, the the idea for the green fireballs and the investigation of them, for right. example, I right. think would be useful for him to understand how that operated and what the mistakes were. And that would eliminate some of that problem, but he's looking for things that, he's looking up into outer space, not necessarily on things that are coming to earth, but passing by by earth at slow well, speed. he wrote
0: in the Scientific American piece, and I quote that in my recent blog piece, he was talking about objects, alien objects, that are maneuvering inside the Earth's atmosphere, uh, but that's that's part of what he's. That's not everything he's looking for. But you're right. He's also looking at things that might be out in our solar system. Now, this so-called Oa or however you say it, that came this was probably we know about rogue planets, and I would say this thing would, could be described as a rogue asteroid. In other words, something in some far distant solar system had a gravitational encounter with something like Jupiter or very large planet, which flung it out and probably repeated um, uh, encounters that that flung it out at sufficient speed to cause it to leave its own solar system. Now, we know that this thing arrived from the direction, we would say from the direction of Lyra, the constellation Lyra. It didn't come from Southern Hemisphere. So it did not come from Alpha Centauri, did not come from Epsilon Iridani or any of those. Uh, There is no really close star in that direction. The closest would probably be Vega, maybe some very small star. But anyway, the point is that this thing had to have come from at least 10 or 20 light years away. We know that when it was outside our solar system, it was moving at the speed of 26 kilometers per second, which is uh, approximately the speed the Earth orbits around the sun. Now, it's, and then of course as it enters our solar system it starts to accelerate but then it gets around the sun and uh, then the gravity pulls it around and it goes back essentially goes out in a different direction but here's the thing that thing must have been traveling for at least several million years to reach us now think about that that thing Oumuamua, was out there in interstellar space traveling along chugging along like you know the um, the, 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 the tortoise and the hare, the little tortoise crawling through uh, interstellar space. And uh, not, if I'm an alien civilization, I well, can say, well, I'm gonna send this thing out and, and, and in 10 million years, it'll reach that solar system over there and I'll see what's in there. I don't think so. Maybe there are aliens who think in these uh, terms. And if he's talking about, well, they just send them out everywhere, they send them out this way. How many probes is that gonna be? And are you going to wait ten million years for each one to send back its information? I mean, maybe this is something like building a pyramids or something for some alien race. I suppose that's possible. that You know, it's their idea of reaching immortality or something. But if you just think about the sheer number, you think of how large our galaxy is, not to mention other galaxies. How many how many probes would you have to send out to all these places to to, to look for intelligent life? It's, I I don't think it. Feasible for anything, but what
1: do I know? I've always got the impression that the the uh, alien civilization, whomever it might have been, it, it was was sending these things out kind of on a random basis, looking for it. Uh, uh, you know, we've got the Earth-based SETI program, where we're looking at various stars on a kind of a random basis mm-hmm. for some kind of signal that there's intelligence like there. And that was my my impression, not unlike that was it, the Voyager that just left our solar system after. Fifty years of flight. Uh, yes. It, it, they're talking about in eighty thousand years it may approach another star system, and so it is that that kind of thing. It's a long-term project, and I, you know, we don't know the basis of if if there are alien civilizations doing this, what their life expectancy is. Do they have any kind of way of tracking these things, or is it uh, you know? kind of like what we did with the Voyager. it just uh, We just sent it out with no real expectation of it ever after, after it completed its mission in the solar system, no real expectation that it would uh, right. communicate back with us.
0: Right, it, I mean, it had its mission here. And then when that mission in our solar system was completed, it's just going out there, good luck. Well, maybe in a million years, uh, some alien might find it, but probably not. No, if you just consider the size, incredible size of, of our galaxy. And if somebody wanted to just send out randomly to different solar systems, how many solar systems are there? How close do you have to get to the star? If I point something this way and the star is over here, I mean, how long is it gonna to take to get there? Is it gonna get in the solar system? It's, uh, I think you're just, you're just conjuring up a, an impossibly vast scenario of, uh, of uh, alien probes before there's even the slightest chance of anyone passing passing through our neighborhood
1: well i think we can agree that what passed through our solar system was some kind of an extraterrestrial artifact that didn't originate in our solar system and i think that's that's an important thing right there
0: it's probably it is and i agree with you and and you know they say well we you know we propose studying these things you know that's part of their project well i absolutely i agree anything that's you know comes along that we don't know what it is let's study it I suspect it was, it was an asteroid from a different solar system that got ejected and just happened to wander by this way. But that ejection happened several million years ago, it didn't happen just now. And so I have put that into perspective. Uh, maybe there's a, an alien headquarters somewhere where they're just listening for millions of years to say, well, did this probe come up with anything yet? Did this probe get anywhere yet? I don't think so. But again, but it's an interesting thought
1: i uh, I understand what you're saying, and I understand the distances as well. if you don't have some way of moving beyond light speed you've kind of limited what you can do and clear these things were moving weren't moving anywhere near light speed so oh, this
0: thing was moving at twenty six kilometers per second yeah precisely space, which is hundreds of thousands if not millions of years between solar systems
1: and i think I think that, um, Dr. Loeb understood it took me, at least hundreds of thousands of years to get yes, here. It did at the very least, yeah, at the at the very least. So I, it was interesting that that um, he got the kind of response that he did from people. But then when you look at the ufological aspect of it now, where he's bringing in the ufologist, uh, I just wonder about the uh, credibility of, of those people. They all have, most of them had have uh, connections back into governments. Um, if you look at uh, Nick Tope, of, of course, being um, with the uh, British Ministry of Defense, and you've got a number of other people who uh, were, uh, had ties to our governments as well. You just wonder what what is the motivation of bringing those specific people in as other. I would have thought Jerry Clark would have been a great person to bring into <laughs> it because of his uh, his. Vast knowledge of the history of ufology.
0: Yes, is he still alive? <laughs> I you think know, I he said he the is. same
1: thing about you.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I haven't. You know, I haven't heard or seen much of anything about Jerry. I guess he's having a quiet retirement somewhere. I guess. But yes.
1: I Well, listen, um, we're out of time here. I appreciate you taking, taking some time here to chat with us about all these bizarre park <laughs> projects right. going on. Can
0: we get in a blog for my book? I was going to say, tell, always...
1: tell, me about, tell me about your book. Where can we get it? And tell us um, about your blog. Well, you can
0: get it on Amazon or other booksellers. And uh, it basically covers uh, cases, uh, skeptical perspective on some famous cases, the Phoenix Lights, the so-called Roswell Slides, Mystery missiles off the coast of Los Angeles and gets into Betty Hill and the star map and all that stuff. So there's a lot of information in there.
1: And your your
0: website, once again, is? Is uh, Bad UFOs. Uh, you can just uh, type out ufos.com and it should forward to there. Or it's badufos.blogspot.com.
1: Okay. Well, thank you so much, Robert. Appreciate you taking your time to
0: chat with us today. Okay. Well, my pleasure.
1: You have a good day.
0: Thank you.
1: you that was Robert Schaefer. We were talking about a lot of bizarre things in the world of ufology. Um, my latest book is, of course, Leveland, which is an examination of the Leveland case and these ideas of electromagnetic uh, effects, which are a suggestion of the UFO interacting with the environment and that sort of thing. And I took a lesson from some of the skeptics of one of the things Robert brought up and checked out some of the people to see uh if the information was as accurate as it could be. But it also is a compendium of a lot of different uh, electromagnetic cases reported over the years and examination of how the Condon Committee treated that kind of a phenomenon. I also did the UFOs in the Deep State, which was a look at um, the history, I guess, of, of ufology and how it has been manipulated in various quarters from from the the government to uh, even the private UFO organizations and the skeptics and and that sort of thing. The blog is, of course, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I want to thank you all for tuning in, listening to the program here. If you have ideas, or people you'd like to hear or see on the program, uh, send me a note through my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I will be back in 167 hours with more on UFOs. So thank you for tuning in.